Hi everyone. I trust that you are well. I trust that you've had a good week. For those of you who are celebrating Lent, I hope that that is going well and that if you've given up something for Lent that you haven't yet lost to your sense of humor. On a more serious note, I trust that it is a very blessed time in your life as we prepare ourselves to celebrate Jesus's death, burial and resurrection at this Easter time. Today we're continuing with our sermon series on spiritual disciplines, habits for wholeness. And today is the third in our foundation phase of this series, looking at some of the why of spiritual disciplines before we move on next week to look at the how, the more practical side of spiritual disciplines. So far, we've had a look at two areas in our lives that we need to have sorted out if we want to become more like Jesus. The first area has to do with our will. Sometimes we don't feel like following Jesus because we're not sure if he's really trustworthy. Jesus is okay for things like funerals, but he doesn't really have any relevance to my life, to living in the real world. And we said that there was a theological term for that. It's called hogwash. <laughs> Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of the universe and is well able to give me the best possible advice on any and every area of my life. We can confidently say not only Jesus is Lord, but also Jesus is clever. To use the words of the Apostle Paul, Jesus is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I can trust Jesus with my life. And then secondly, we've looked at the area of our actions. If I want to become like Jesus, I need to practice certain actions regularly over a long period of time. Last week, we had a look at the negative side of that. We looked at the topic of habits and addictions, and we saw that what we become in life depends on our habits. If we habitually sow to our fallen sinful nature, we will reap destruction, both in this life and the next. But if by God's help we sow to the Spirit, we will reap life, both in this life and the life to come. Today, we're going to look at the subject of good habits. We're going to focus on two passages of Scripture today. The first comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 7 and 8. The Apostle Paul says, Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 24 to 27. Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore I do not run like a man running aimlessly, 
I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'd like to consider this area of good habits under a number of headings. And firstly, let me speak about training versus trying. Paul says here in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, Train yourself to be godly. In one of his books, Pastor John Ortberg points out that there is a very big difference between training to be like Jesus and trying to be like Jesus. I found that trying to be like Jesus is very hard and, in fact, just about impossible. Perhaps some of you have found the same in your lives. Philip Yancey describes this in one of his books, and maybe you can identify with what he says here. He writes, The Sermon on the Mount haunted my teenage years. I would read a book like Charles Sheldon's In His Steps and solemnly vow to act as Jesus would act and turn to Matthew chapter 5 to 7 for guidance. What to make of such advice? Should I offer my body to be pummeled by those motorcycle riding hoods in school, tear out my tongue after speaking a harsh word to my brother? Once I became so convicted about my addiction to material things that I gave away to a friend my prized collection of 1,100 baseball cards, including an original 1947 Jackie Robinson and a Mickey Mantle rookie card. Anticipating a divine reward for this renunciation, instead I had to endure the monumental injustice of watching my friend auction off the entire collection at a huge profit. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, I consoled myself. In his book on spiritual disciplines, John Ortberg points out that we often try to do in the spiritual realm what children and younger teenagers do on the sports field. Have you ever watched an eight-year-old boy trying to play rugby? What does he do? He tries to imitate Sia Khaleesi, his favourite rugby player, or a young teenage girl tries to look like Venus Williams on the tennis court. Maybe they even imitate their hero's mannerisms, or walk, or the things that they say. And the mistake that they make is thinking that they can act like their hero for one hour on the court or on the field. They don't realize that what enables Venus Williams to act with such grace and strength and brilliance on the court doesn't actually have anything to do with that hour or two or three on the court. What enables Venus Williams to act with such strength and grace and apparent ease comes out of a commitment to training, and in fact an entire lifestyle that takes place off the court that no one else even sees. If a teenager wants to be like Venus Williams, that will never happen by trying to be like Venus Williams. It will happen, though, by training to be like Venus Williams. And what is true of sport or musical instruments or learning a foreign language is true, too, of following Jesus. I can't try to be like Jesus merely by copying what he did on the court, so to speak. 
I can't try loving my enemies and praying for those who persecute me and dying for those who hate me. If I try to do that, I will most likely be disappointed and disillusioned. Trying does have a certain advantage. It's better than doing nothing. But trying to be like Jesus without training to be like Jesus is bound to lead to failure, just as trying to be like Venus Williams without training to be like her will lead to failure. Training to be like Jesus is the way to become like him. If I want to train to be like Venus Williams or Sia Khaleesi, then I need to do the things that they do off the court or course. And if I want to train to be like Jesus, then I need to do the things that Jesus did off the court, so to speak. What did Jesus do behind the scenes? Well, have a look at Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. Luke tells us, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Just like Venus Williams has a secret life of physical activity, diet and mental preparation that no one knows about, so our Lord Jesus had a secret life that no one knew about. Well, some knew about it. Luke did, and now we do too. Jesus was able to heal the sick and feed the 5,000 and raise the dead he was able to stand up against the devil and win. He treated everyone, even those who opposed him, with the greatest love and grace. And as he died for his enemies, he prayed, Father, forgive them. People saw that. But what enabled Jesus to do those things was a secret, hidden, quiet time with his Father. Again, if we try to be like Jesus without training to be like Jesus, we're doomed to failure. How do I train to be like Jesus? Well, as we saw last week, our habits determine who we become. If I want to become like Jesus, I will have to do the things that he did. And when we read about Jesus' life in the Gospels, we read that he engaged in activities like fasting and prayer and solitude, and worship. Traditionally, these are known as spiritual disciplines. That's our second main heading today, spiritual disciplines. Now, generally speaking, people don't like the sound of spiritual disciplines because they sound like awfully hard work. It also sounds like something that we do to gain God's approval or to twist God's arm into doing something that we want him to do. And so maybe we could better call these spiritual exercises or spiritual training. It doesn't really matter what we call it, as long as we do them. Spiritual disciplines include activities like Bible reading, study, worship, fellowship, giving, confession, praying, fasting, solitude, silence and sacrifice. We're going to look at some of these activities in the weeks that lie ahead. But this morning, let's just lay the groundwork by asking what spiritual exercises are not and what they are and how we do them. Firstly, what spiritual disciplines are not. 
Spiritual disciplines are not a way to get in with God, to earn God's favor or gain his approval or to atone for our sins. That's a complete misunderstanding of spiritual disciplines and of the gospel as a whole. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We're saved completely by God's grace. But as we've just seen from the verses in 1 Corinthians, we're called on to grow in our relationship with God. The Apostle Peter puts it even more succinctly in 2 Peter chapter 3, where he says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. So spiritual exercises or disciplines are not a way to get in with God. Secondly, spiritual disciplines are not the end. They are a means to the end. They're the exercises, not the event. They're the practice swings, not the shot itself. That's one of the pitfalls of spiritual disciplines. People discover these practices and they're really excited about them and they become obsessed with the disciplines rather than the goal. It would be like a man going to gym to try and become a better runner. He wants to do some weightlifting to help him be a stronger runner, but he gets so into this whole gym thing that he just goes to gym and becomes a bodybuilder. He's lost sight of the end goal. A piano player doesn't play scales in order to be able to play scales really well. You play scales because you want to play the piano better. It's possible to get caught up in the spiritual disciplines themselves and forget what the end goal is. I heard about a lady who went on a silent retreat with a group of other people. The idea was to spend a day with God and to get to know him in silence. And as this lady was walking along, suddenly one of the other group members bumped into her by accident and she stumbled and fell. And the other group member walked off without saying a word because they were supposed to be quiet. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but there's a very important warning here. It's possible to be good at the spiritual disciplines and not be like Jesus. It's possible to enjoy the spiritual disciplines and forget the end goal, which is becoming like Jesus. So if that's what spiritual disciplines are not, let's go on and ask what spiritual disciplines are. Very simply, spiritual disciplines are habits that help me become like Jesus. A spiritual discipline is any activity that helps me become like Jesus. We'll come back to that definition again later. And secondly, I'm not quite sure how even to put this, but spiritual disciplines are strengthening exercises. They're an indirect way of becoming like Jesus. Let me explain what I mean by that. I really enjoy jogging. But for quite a long time last year, I didn't run because it hurt my hip and my knees. It was only towards the end of last year that I realized that what I needed to do was to strengthen the muscles around my hip and knee joint. 
So if you were to visit my home around four o'clock tomorrow afternoon, you might find me lying on my back with my knees bent and my bottom in the air, and you would quite rightly ask, what in the world are you doing? And I would say, I'm trying to run better. And you'd think, how ridiculous. If you want to run, you need to get out there and run. But quite the opposite is true. Going out there and running is what got me into trouble in the first place. The way that I prepare to run is to stretch. And in a similar way, as we've already said today, I don't primarily become like Jesus by directly trying to be like Jesus. These spiritual disciplines are behind the scenes, roundabout ways of developing spiritual muscles that help me to be like Jesus. So we've looked at training versus trying. We've looked a bit at the nature of spiritual disciplines, what they are not, what they are. Thirdly, let me deal with a couple of objections. Someone might say, but this is difficult. I think that this objection is a great window into the thinking of our modern society. Things have to be easy or we give up. But actually, any sportsman or sportswoman, anyone who plays a musical instrument, anyone who learns a foreign language knows that to be really good at it involves hard work and lots of time. Why would we think that it would be any different in the spiritual realm? Yes, it will be hard, but the alternative is harder. The alternative is that I just let my life drift I might discipline myself for sport or for music or for my hobby, but the rest of my life I will allow to become a shambles. I came across two quotations in this regard recently, which I think just highlight this point. The first comes from the science fiction writer Frank Herbert. He once said, Seek freedom and become captive of your desires. Seek discipline and find your liberty. Then the motivational speaker, Jim Rohn, once said, We must all suffer from one of two pains, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. The difference is discipline weighs ounces while regret weighs tons. Those two quotes are deeply profound. Practicing spiritual disciplines might cost us, but not practicing them will cost us far more. One writer points out that, yes, learning to play Beethoven on the piano by practicing scales is very hard, but there is something that is harder. It would be far harder to sit behind a piano in a packed auditorium and try to play Beethoven without practicing scales. That is hard. Actually, playing Beethoven by practicing scales is pretty easy by comparison. A second objection. It's unpleasant. I won't like it. Again, another comment on our modern 21st century lifestyle. Everything must be quick and easy and I must like it. I enjoy jogging. I really do. There's something wonderful about being out by yourself. It's just you and the road. But it isn't always pleasant. There are days when it hurts, days when I'm off form, days when it's cold and wet and dark. 
But even the very worst jog has done me some good, even if I don't see it, even if I don't feel it. In the same way, there will be days when we spend time with God reading his word and praying, and it will feel like touching heaven. And there will be other days when we read the Bible and pray, and it will feel as if we're talking to the walls, and the ceiling is as solid as brass. But that doesn't mean those few minutes haven't done me any good. Sometimes we might say to ourselves, I don't feel like doing this. Ian Dynan, one of the visitors on our classic WhatsApp group, sent me this quotation from Eugene Peterson this week, which I found most insightful. We can act ourselves into a way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Third objection. It's legalistic. Maybe it's even unbiblical. Well, I hope I've answered that objection already. But just to reiterate, we aren't saved by our actions. We're saved by God's grace. It's also true that the Bible does speak about how the spiritual disciplines can be abused. And so if you go to the Old Testament, you will read the prophets often speaking out against fasting, for example. But they're not speaking out against fasting. They're speaking out against the abuse of fasting just as Jesus spoke out against the misuse of prayer and fasting. He said, when you pray, don't pray like that. Pray like this. When you fast, don't fast like that. Fast like this. It's possible, as we've said, to focus on the activity and forget about the relationship. It's possible to abuse weightlifting and just build muscle for muscle's sake. It's possible to abuse dieting and become anorexic. But that doesn't mean that getting fit or eating healthy are bad activities. It just means that they can be abused. I think our problem is that we don't like the word discipline to be used in the same sentence as relationship. We think that the two are mutually exclusive. Surely relationships are free and easy. I sometimes see this in my pre-marriage counselling. I try to get couples who are about to be married to think how they will handle conflict. And generally, they look at me with bemusement. And they don't always say it, but I know they're thinking, don't worry, Andrew, love will see us through. And I have to say to them, No, love won't see you through. Discipline and hard work will see you through. Working on your relationship, having set times together, reading books about conflict, dealing with your stuff every day, that will see you through. Any good relationship needs the discipline of work. We've looked at training versus trying We've looked at the nature of spiritual disciplines. We've tried to answer some objections. But as we close, let's ask the question, how do I do this? Remember we said earlier that spiritual disciplines were ways of strengthening muscles. They were kind of indirect ways of becoming like Jesus. Well, if I want to be like Jesus in a certain area, then I need to work backwards. I need to look at what it would mean to live a life like Jesus. 
I need to recognize what barriers there are that prevents me from being like that. And I need to discover what practices or experiences or relationships will help me overcome those barriers. I love the way that John Ortberg puts this in his book on spiritual disciplines. He says this, I know that I'm called to be more loving. One thing that I've discovered when I spend the day trying to live in a loving fashion is that love requires an enormous amount of energy. And I was just too tired to give it. So I realized that as unspiritual as it sounds, if I was serious about becoming a more loving person, I was going to have to get more sleep. I've discovered that I have a very hard time thinking and feeling and acting like Jesus when I lack sleep. <laughs> Another useful thing that I picked up from his book is that if you have a look at the list of spiritual disciplines, you will see that they can actually be divided into two groups. There are disciplines of engagement and disciplines of abstinence. In simple terms, Disciplines where you do stuff and disciplines where you don't do stuff. And actually, the sins that we struggle with also fall into those two categories. There are sins where I do bad things and there are sins where I don't do the good things that I should do. Now, as a general rule of thumb, if my main problem is with doing stuff that I shouldn't be doing then I need to strengthen my not-doing muscles through the exercises of abstinence, things like fasting and solitude and silence and sacrifice. If my main problem is with not doing stuff I should be doing, then I need to strengthen my doing muscles through the exercises of engagement, things like Bible reading, study, worship, fellowship, giving, confession, and praying. And if my problems lie in both areas, then I need to do both, exercises of abstinence and exercises of engagement. Let me just say two other things really quickly. My brother Graham is a gym instructor up in Johannesburg. He studied a course including anatomy and physiology, learning about the human body, learning about the gym equipment, learning about nutrition. If I were ever to become a gym person, which is highly unlikely, but if I ever were and I just walked into the gym and got on some of the equipment and started lifting weights, I could easily hurt myself very quickly. What I would need would be someone like my brother who knows me, who knows where some of my old injuries are, and he can come alongside me and suggest an exercise program that would be perfect just for me. The same is true with the spiritual disciplines. At the moment, my spiritual gym instructors are authors like John Ortberg and Dallas Willard, Richard Foster and Donald Whitney. I myself am not a gym instructor. I'm learning and I'm happy to share with you what I, whatever I'm learning at the moment. But find yourself a gym instructor. Get hold of the books or find an older Christian who can help you. And secondly, going to gym or going running is always better if you go with someone else. Sometimes I need to run by myself, 
But when I'm really training and I want some results, it's very useful if I say to my next door neighbor, let's start jogging together. The reason for that is when it's six o'clock in the morning and I just want to turn over and switch the alarm off, I can't because I know that someone is stood outside waiting for me. In a similar way, God has given us training partners, the church, men and women who can help us and encourage us and spur us on. And so let's learn together. Gary Player must be one of South Africa's greatest golfers, but he didn't just get that way overnight. It took years of practicing every day. I remember once reading how in one competition, the golfers came off the course at the end of the day's play and the organizers warned them that the next day it was probably going to rain. And so Gary Player, after a hard day's golf, went directly to the practice ground and he got his caddy to stand there with a hose pipe trained on him as he practiced shot after shot after shot in wet conditions. Gary Player went on to win that tournament. Gary Player did all of that hard work, a lifetime of practicing, for cups and trophies and prizes that won't last. As Paul says in this passage, they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. A life of purpose and meaning and significance here on earth and a relationship with Jesus which will last forever. And so may God bless you in this week that lies ahead as you train to be more like Jesus. Amen.